welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Right now I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. In this unusually vulnerable Valentine's Day episode, we're exploring Michelle Gondry's 2004 critically acclaimed romantic drama Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Written by Charlie Kaufman, who won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for his work on the movie, this film saw both he and Gondry attempting to deal with the trickiest theme out there, love. Anthony Lane wrote in The New Yorker, In creating a pair of lovers who forget each other and then click all over again, they suggest that every one of us harbours an inextinguishable need and that we helplessly swing back toward our soulmate as if he or she were a living magnetic north. Tonight we'll be stumbling out onto the ice with Joel, played by Jim Carrey, and Clementine, played by Kate Winslet. Is theirs a love that we can use to justify Valentine's Day? Or is it just a holiday invented by greeting card companies to make people feel like crap? Probably. You think so? I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's, if we go back in time, there's probably some research. I mean, it's not the sort of thing I Google, but about when Valentine's Day first started and how cards were bought and fluffy red pillows with I love you. Ladybirds that played music were, <laughs> were, were gifted from a Clinton's on just before a date when you suddenly realised you hadn't got them anything. Yes, well, isn't that the thing, though, that spurs Joel into getting onto the wrong train when he's at the station at the beginning of the film? Random thoughts for Valentine's Day, 2004. Today is a holiday invented by greeting card companies to make people feel like crap. Yeah, I think when you watch it, from the beginning, and this is, mm. this is the, the joy of the timeline of the film, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like he, he's having a an episode where he's having an, a pretty awful day. Um, it's I suppose you're almost expecting Garfield to say something like, I hate Mondays. This is like your standard Monday where everyone's doing the commute and he just gets, sits there or standing there waiting for the train. Yeah. And, um, makes a split-second decision to run onto the other platform and go off to Montauk. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it must be playing on his mind. that, um, and, I, and I guess it's easy to get into the cynical side of it, isn't it? Well, I think it's a defensive part of you, isn't it? That if you're not having the kind of Valentine's Day that you think that maybe you should be having, then you can reject it in that in that kind of way can't you sort of just say oh it's just it's just about capitalism it's got nothing to do with me <laughs> yeah everyone becomes an expert on capitalism when it comes to valentine's day <laughs> yeah they really do yeah it's always a hallmark holiday something like that yes yeah. yes exactly yes. exactly and um but they've got it's funny how it plays out though because they've got that lovely moment where she after they spend that time together she calls out of the window to him when you get back, call me and wish me a happy Valentine's Day. That would be nice. And I think even if you feel quite 
uh, cynical about Valentine's Day as a concept. There's something about that moment that is genuinely quite touching and you sort of get why someone would say that to the other, you know, because it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a romantic moment. What do you think? I think it was nice. And, and the fact that they spent that time together, the, the fact that it's Valentine's Day, you're not hit over the head with it. And you get a lot of movies where which are set around a date or a particular event or, you know, we, we've talked about films that are set around Christmas, for example. Um, yes. And Valentine's Day is one of those events that a lot of movies are set around. And I mean, there's even one of those god-awful ensemble ones, I think, that's about Valentine's Day. Yes. There, there was a, was there a trend in the kind of maybe 10, 15 years ago in, in Hollywood of making like, Valentine's Day, there was a New Year's Eve one. I think that's, yeah, I think that's Gary Marshall films. And right. I think that they, it could be argued that, you know, they was kind of trying to capture Love Actually's success. Hmm. Yes. Well, uh, so it's just, a similar kind of format, isn't it? Kind of putting together all of these overlapping storylines. Yes. But uh, minus Liam Neeson and Alan Rickman. So, uh, unfortunately. Uh, for shame. Yeah, I think this is one of the good things about the film is that you're not beat over the head with it. And while Valentine's Day is there, mm. it's not really referred to overly other than the scene where Joel bumps into his neighbour and he talks about take, make sure you get book a table for Valentine's Day otherwise you'll be having a is it Mickey D's, he called it. With, <laughs> um, but then I suppose if, if they had the McRib, that'd be not bad. I mean, I do love a McRib. I've never had a McRib. Oh, they're amazing. I mean, they're probably, really? well, I say they're amazing. I'd probably, again, it's probably nostalgia. <laughs> so, no. But um, yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, it's, it's again, we, when we were talking about doing a couple of films for uh, our little season around Valentine's, Galentine's Day. And, um, you know, we did with this and My Best Friend's Wedding, which are you know, two very different films, but, you know, this this mentions Valentine's Day, but it's not, yeah, it's not the be all and end all. Thankfully, yes, it's uh, it's relationship to Valentine's Day, as you said before. It's a bit like some of the films that we've dealt with that and how they relate to Christmas and uh, the way the apartment kind of has Christmas going on in the background. You can kind of feel it as a social pressure, but it's not the focus of of what's going on. It's a little bit similar to how Valentine's Day is here isn't it and um and yeah my best friend's wedding is our other valentine's day film even though it's very different um different in terms of its atmosphere to this one they're both they're both kind of about memory aren't they Mm, yeah and how yeah how how kind of accurately you recall a relationship that you might have with someone in that movie there was a a nostalgia of of sorts and a little bit of Mm. you want what you can't have whereas in this one it's you know you've got two people who seem opposite in certain regards um and yet you know when you drill down you know the, the idea that they're supposed to be soulmates of some kind and despite all the trips and tribulations that they they go through and and as we learn you know that this film's timeline isn't linear the the way they play around you know the way they play around with you're trying to work out where 
you are and what's actually happened and i mean i i remember watching it a long time ago and to say i remember watching it when i i kind of had to watch it again recently for this and and you know i i found it a lot more rewarding this time round and obviously having you know a, a purpose for watching it this time and i think maybe before maybe i i just didn't get it enough it was kind of quirky and it was you know the the, the way it was written and the way it was presented it was yeah. quite, it was quite in, innovative you know some of the use of cgi back then it wasn't it wasn't over the top it wasn't like watching a a marvel film or something but um you know th- there was a lot of clever use of clever photography the way it was filmed there there wasn't a lot of awful special effects and it in, enhanced the story and brought you that surrealism of you know the scene where is he trying to turn uh, elijah wood around and all he can see is the back of his head constantly yeah. every time you know yeah. things like that was really clever and um and yeah watching it now you know looking at you know the relationship between i mean primarily joel and, and clementine it's great and it was another example and again going slightly off topic you know we've had kate winslet being you know, the star of titanic and all these other things and and jim carrey you know again another role uh, along with the truman show where he's not just this goofy rubber-faced lunatic mm. um he's actually there's a lot of nuance and and the way that he deals with what looks like depression yeah um it's really well done and um and the, the, there is a very realistic feel to the bond between the two of them. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think that something that's quite striking about it is that it's a movie that takes love seriously that's made in the genre maybe of films that usually aren't centering on romantic love. I think when, when you look at some of the films that we've either talked about or, or planned to look at for this podcast and you know it's, it's easy when especially when it is sci-fi based that sometimes you do have to explore different types of relationship otherwise it can, can become a bit samey um mm. you know if you look at say blade runner for example yeah and it becomes a whole almost a a story about is a person really a person um yes. you know things like that it's, it's, and yeah. and i guess the better sci-fi films do look at things from from that different angle and relationships is one of them yes um i mean i, I promised myself i wouldn't talk about the terminator again but um oh go on it's fine well no but well the saying in in that you know in the very core of that film is a relationship between two people that just were just brought together by chance and i won't go into the plot holes and all that but it's um them having a a weekend together ended up saving the universe probably in a CD motel in 1984 it was amazing um <laughs> but you know and and again coming to this film yeah where i mean the, there's the kind of the scene on the train near the beginning when they together or well say not together but they they start talking and clementine's behavior really is i guess it's when you compare it to some of the other films of the time, was what was that? What's that phrase that they used to describe when a female character acts a bit strange? Is it like manic pixie, manic p- pixie dream girl. Right, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And some of her behaviour was quite erratic, and you know she'd go from flirty to a bit aggressive in two seconds. It's um, you know, you can see why Joel gets a little bit 
you know he, he doesn't really know where he's standing and and we're not really supposed to know i guess at that point what what's going to happen other than are they taking bets on do they end up together and it's um so interesting what you say about her seeming like a manic pixie dream girl as well because she has that speech that she gives to him later on doesn't it? where she says um too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive but I'm just a fucked up girl looking for her own peace of mind don't assign me yours Mm. and that's you know really quite really quite powerful uh with regards to how often women are kind of placed in films as um as something that is meant to be there to kind of fill fill the gaps in maybe a, a man's experience of having a relationship or maybe to soften him. I think that uh, a film that I did think about a bit when I was re-watching this one was High Fidelity because we'd watched that quite recently for this podcast. And I think that um, Clementine, in comparison to Laura, feels much more like her own, you know, her her, her own sort of existing being that has its own has its own sort of difficulties and messiness and is just as troubled as the male character is whereas in high fidelity something that frustrates me now in a way that it didn't used to is that laura kind of seems to have to be uh, quite long suffering and mild mannered in order to be able to create enough space for rob yeah i think that's again that the strength of it where you're in a position where this film and again like high fidelity was i suppose in in the way it was it was rob's story whereas here while i guess joel is trying to follow clementine in terms of the the memory erasing side of it you know she's as much a part of it you know she's not just this dream girl that he has to follow which would be a, a fairly standard procedural as such, but he's actually trying trying to forget her because she tried to forget him. You know, she did it first. It's not just him doing it out of petulant spite or anything. You know, if it had been high yes. fidelity, it would have been yes. John, John Cusack trying to, oh, well, I'm just going to try and forget her then um, yeah. and, and move on. Whereas Clementine's done that first. Yes, yeah, because she's impulsive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he finds out when he goes to see her at the bookshop and she's already sort of moved on with Elijah Wood, fresh from his, is he Frodo or Bilbo? Uh, Frodo stint, I suppose, just after this. But um, Yes, yes. yes he's, he's very sinister in the spot, He is. I, I mean, find that, it yeah, really unnerving. There's one theme with his character in, and again, sometimes we've talked about how a film has aged and I guess this isn't so much an aging of the film thing but I guess looking at it now with with modern eyes 18 18 or so years later and you think about his behavior in terms of stealing the the items that Joel kept that relating to Clementine and using it to woo her yeah it's it's portrayed in a way that it is sinister and it's not just oh look at him the scamp he's trying to get you know trying to get in a good books it's not like you know because when that happened in say groundhog day when bill murray was taking sort of mental notes of what andy mcdowell liked so that the next day he could do that that was portrayed in a way that was charming and (laughs) quite you know like you know i think there was one where the, the scene where 
she like said what she her favorite drink was and that she always drank to world peace so he made a note of that for the next day um, yes whereas here it was like using physical items using and and personal correspondence to use words that she had responded to already because he knew mm. it's like oh i know this will work it's like one of those awful twitter accounts like how would you talk to this girl if you saw her in the street yeah and it's um th- there is and it luckily with hindsight it was he's not a character that you sympathize with um no no you know and, and it's portrayed as such and you know while you take any advantage you can get he obviously went what is probably deemed further than acceptable yeah and i think that mark ruffalo's character is clearly quite horrified by that revelation so i don't i don't i think the film you know make makes it clear that that's it's not it's not a good thing to be and it's not and they and it's not effective i mean that that's the that's also the the thing that it makes clear is that she even if you have information on someone by having you know stolen things from their memory or or physical things when the two of them are lying on the ice uh kate winslet and elijah wood she her character has this sort of moment of feeling this isn't right this feels odd Mm. and even though that's partly about her mate perhaps being able to recall things from before it also sort of tells you that that maybe maybe just sort of like human chemistry isn't something that you can ever figure out like an equation even if you have all the information on what someone's tastes are and even if you could change your looks to exactly how they'd like a person to look you can't actually fake a human really strong human connection with someone what do you think about that yeah very much it's um it's like biff in back to the future too he's a gone back in time armed with the horse racing results and uh yes. stolen the rain it's uh <laughs> yeah, exactly. well there you go there's a link elijah wood was in back to the future too i didn't know that he was he was the boy in the arcade at the beginning where marty shoots the um whatever the game was duck hunt or something and he was the guy i think he was the kid who said you have to use your hands um, oh right oh okay sorry, oh, that's a good fact good geek knowledge when that's the thing and that something like that it, it is quite Im- I say important but it does show again that clementine and joel say were meant to be together but they, there was something there and by yeah. as you say you can't force that chemistry you can't force that connection mm. and no matter how the science of removing memory can be yeah um you know, it's, it's not an exact science. And, you know, I, I like to compare this film to Total Recall in that it's very much the opposite of this. Oh, where, go on. OK, explain that. Well, um, in Total Recall, Arnold Schwarzenegger had memories implanted. And, oh, OK. Well, it appeared to have memories implanted because he wanted the memory of having a holiday to Mars where he was a secret agent and all that. And it, it turns out he actually had been a secret agent. That was all really wonderful oh, right, wonderful okay. film okay. um and there uh, he in his uh in his memory he was married to um sharon stone oh well and, of course he was yes i mean cause... i think in in a lot of guys memories they're married to sharon stone. <laughs> memories dreams same thing and, uh, mm. yes but um and you know the and even the setup there where jim carrey was in the office having all the gizmos attached to his head Yes. to have these removed it was from arnold schwarzenegger getting put into yes. a machine like that so yes um, of course i'd like to think that total recall inspired this film 
Um, I think maybe it's Total Recall meets It's a Wonderful Life. Because I also think that it's a bit like It's a Wonderful Life in some ways. There's something about that... um, that feeling of of everything you know everything that's happened kind of isn't worth it's not my existence kind of isn't worth this amount of pain and then that point of the film where someone and in it's a wonderful life it would be the the angel taking taking the guy through you know all the all of the different experiences had and and what makes life up and and that kind of re-examining of everything and then this kind of um newly found appreciation of existing and you know just wanting wanting to claim that life back again how does it make you feel this film um oh how did it make me feel there's a question <laughs> what a concept <laughs> yeah feel rather than think it's very different um i guess it kind of there were some sequences in there that were warm and fuzzy and they were like a romantic film more like a genre thing where they have the scenes like like you said where where Joel and Clementine are on the ice and having this kind of wonderful time and uh, the scene where they're in bed and their faces are together and they just look like they're in kind of this perfect bliss and and you know little quotes where she said to him it's going to be gone soon I know what do we do enjoy it Mm. and there's all these kind of these nice where, where they're in the nice part of their relationship, yeah, and it is quite warming to that extent. But then, on the flip side, I, I guess I wonder how many people have kind of gone away from this, going, "Oh God, I wish I could erase a memory of that person or that person, romantic or otherwise." Well, I think that it's very, a very uh, emotionally mature film, particularly watching it now because I hadn't seen it for about ten years and. Uh, revisiting it I thought that it was quite that it felt quite grown up in that it you know kind of creates an argument for committing to a really imperfect person Hmm. and um, because you know both of them maybe Clementine more more so than Joel because Joel's the thing you know as, as you say because Joel sort of comes across as more kind of introverted more silent more depressed whereas Clementine's uh, foibles are more erratic and wild and you know aggressive uh you're you, you know you're you're in no way told that either of these two people are incredibly easy to live with or even likable so but you're still left with this impression of the two of them being drawn together and this feeling of you know of hope at the end that maybe they might be able to uh make their relationship work if they come together again like it felt for some reason this time it felt incredibly like pre-dating app era film (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah i suppose it's interesting where you know because at the end when they get together and they are then made aware that this relationship has already failed once and i suppose it would be like if you google or facebook stalk someone and yes. you learn about, you know, stuff that you wouldn't have ordinarily found out until later down the road in ye old days, whether it's a, a preference or a hatred or whatever it happens to be, mm. um, or a behaviour. And 
Um, I suppose it's interesting because they then re-enter the relationship armed with the knowledge that at some point in the future, and they do discuss it, you know, in the, in the quote that we used at the beginning, um, they know what each other is going to do to the other person. Yes. Uh, and then they appear to go along with it anyway. It's almost like we're, we're here for the ride. And, yes. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's like a Thelma and Louise thing, isn't it? Ending. You know, they they, they know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, they... God, that's not... <laughs> So you think you think they might as well be throwing themselves off a cliff? <laughs> Slightly mixed metaphor there, but you know they, they know what. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, they, they kind of have the. They're given a hint that this is where it may go, and they have to kind of, if they're desperate for this relationship to work, mm. they need to kind of either accept that and deal with it in a hopefully responsible way, or avoid it or do whatever it takes to not have that happen. Um, yeah. Forearmed is forewarned and all that. But um, it's difficult, I think. Uh, yeah, how If you've always got that in the back of your mind, mm. it must be very, again, it's very hypothetical because I don't think they've invented this technology yet. But it's um, it must be very weird having that idea in your head that it's already failed once. It's like one of those... Was it in the end of When Harry Met Sally? We're talking about a lot of other films here, aren't we? Um, at the yeah, end well, of yeah, fine. at the end of When Harry Met Sally, when there's the couple talking who'd already divorced, yes, and then they get remarried again on their own anniversary, and it's yeah. and it's a bit like this, you know. They know this relationship has already failed, but we're going to have another go. Yeah, well, you know, um, people like uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton with all of their getting married and getting divorced and getting married and getting, mm. you know, people. I mean, sometimes that's the thing. The most uh, powerful connections can sometimes create quite a lot of um, friction and mm. uh, explosiveness. And, you know, that can be very stimulating as well as being difficult. So, I mean, the, they have a line in it where he talks about Naomi that used to go out with and he says, Naomi was nice, you know, nice is good. Maybe I should give her a call. <laughs> and they're kind of touching on there that thing where, this is the problem is that you can you can meet people who are on paper really great and um and are lovely but that doesn't necessarily mean that you connect with them or that you're attracted to one another and that's what's really frustrating actually about about everyone's personal lives is because it's that it's that difficulty where you're trying to find people that you connect with but at the same time, you're able to have a day-to-day -day life together that's, that's you know, not so kind of explosive that you can't do other things like taking the bins out or whatever. You want to say. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of, like, find some kind of balance. Know, some, some people find passion in the strangest of places. Which, which, yes. When yes. is bins? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you think that since this film was made, maybe we've become a bit more judgmental? All of us, I mean, what, and that, yeah. What, as in in relationships or just in life? Yeah, well, that's kind of what I meant about the thing of it being pre-dating app was because mm. I was thinking that they make it very clear that the two that these two have real, you know, difficulties. They have big rows, and they, you know, don't go to, you know, that they they're clear with us about the fact that they're both quite difficult to to be around for you know that what i mean is that both of them find the other one frustrating in different ways mm. 
but um, we're still left, I think, with the idea that it's still worth them giving it another shot. And I was sort of wondering whether since this film came out, whether now, because we're kind of all in a in a world where um, for, sing- for single people, you have the, the idea of kind of swiping until you find the perfect match. And then for the people that are in couples, there might be maybe a little bit more of a dialogue now about, you know, you being able to, I don't know, just maybe doing the reading or whatever, that you'll be able to get your relationship into a into a place that should have kind of no rows, shouldn't have any friction. But that actually this kind of film sort of implies that, you know, there's always going to be, about any relationship worth having, there's always going to be a certain amount of pain and a certain amount of kind of difficulty, and that's just life. Yeah, I mean, it would be... I suppose again times have changed but then you know it's not even relationships you know people are used to instant gratification and getting everything perfect you know the way you can customize pretty much anything these days or you know yeah design your own this or make your own food or clothes or house car whatever um yes and I think perhaps there isn't that that ability to kind of deal with or fall in love with imperfections you know yes exactly I think you know what what could be seen as quirks you might think you know especially when you know a lot of stuff you kind of almost buy to order and if yes you know you you always have this idea of a dream man woman whatever Mm. and you always want them to be I don't know you have this idea in your head of their what they look like and their personality and what they yeah exactly and and in some cases that that's unlikely and whether it's through circumstance or choice or anything like that but and and some people find it difficult to adjust to not having that and everything is kind of oh this will have to do and not yes you know they're not living in the moment maybe yeah I think that's really true you know I mean I'd have liked my car to have had a heated windscreen but I bought it anyway. <laughs> Let, let's be honest. I had it on, on a previous car. Um, I'm not going to make this about my car. But it's... Um, but again... It's it, a good it, analogy. Well, it, to a point, because I like my car. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't love yeah. it. I don't love it. But it's... it's um, in this film, you know, these are people who are... You know, we're led to believe soulmates, and it's a kind of... Um, talking about another film. Did you ever see that one called The Adjustment Bureau? And oh, I have heard. About, I haven't seen him. Yeah, I have Matt Damon and uh, Emily Blunt. Yes, and yes. basically there was, they were, yeah, you know, they were destined to be together, and they had this gang of people in hats. I think it was Terence Stamp and John Slattery and Anthony Mackie were kind of determined to keep Got them. Some apart. sexy men in that film. Sorry, well, to say. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Damon and um, uh. Matt Damon and you had. <laughs> You know, and all these kind of obstacles using CGI and trickery and fuckery and all that. And it was there to kind of keep them apart because he was an aspiring politician and she was like a, oh, a ballet dancer or something like that. All right. And they're supposed to be like the gods of fate who they don't belong together. So we've got to keep them apart. And they end up anyway because it's a fucking film. And <laughs> but, th- but then like it's almost a, a weird version of this is that love trumps all they have to be together this animal pair and um, yes. and in this film while it wasn't quite as glossy or you know people weren't as in well-tailored clothes or anything but um 
we um i think there is that kind of theory that the soulmate argument trumps all and you can almost boil it down to you know do you believe in soulmates is there one perfect person for everyone or do you just happen to enjoy the one you're with i'd like to um take you out or something you're married not yet not married no i'm not married Look, man, I'm telling you right off the bat, I'm high maintenance, so I'm not going to tiptoe around your marriage or whatever it is you got going there. If you want to be with me, you're with me. Okay. I think that it's, I think that they're making the point possibly that it's very difficult to find someone that you connect with on a deep level. And I think that's, that's really, really true. And that's the problem with the era that we're living in now where we think we've got loads of options because of the internet when we actually it's true that it makes it a lot easier to meet a lot more people but it's still you know you're still it's still kind of all down to luck whether or not you're going to find someone that you connect with enough to be able to kind of like heave your heave your heart into the tank of sharks <laughs> And see and see if you you survive. <laughs> I, I'm going to make myself sound like really old here, but is this yeah. film like an like a weird version of ghosting, where she basically goes to the lengths of erasing him from her mind? In order, no, I to- think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think I think that it absolutely preempts that. Yeah, the, well, I mean that's the that's the strange thing is that now we've kind of got. We've just got a standard term now, haven't we, for when mm. people just behave in a way that makes the other person feel as if they didn't exist, which is quite when 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 you look at it kind of closely, you think, oh, that's that's really quite sinister. That now that's just a standard form of conduct. Yeah, because now you can just like block them on Twitter and unfriend them and r- yeah. lose your connection on LinkedIn or whatever app i'm just making myself sound really old i'm talking about linkedin for relationships but um yeah it's it's i guess it's a lot more straightforward now still well, just as cool yeah. just as cool. yes yes completely well it's um i think that the kirsten dunst uh character her 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 storyline with her boss is really interesting in that way because it sort of shows how you can be drawn to someone and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a relationship that you you know that's sort of going to be fulfilling and um because she's attracted to tom wilkinson's character again even after she's had the procedure and it shows how damaging this idea of um someone as you say someone ghosting you know these days you might put it in the context of ghosting some people might call it gaslighting Mm. this idea that you can um when you've been through something bad with someone that they can kind of just reset your your memory and then you can go down that that road again and um yeah it makes quite a strong argument i think the end the end of the film with when you find out when she finds out what's happened before you think yeah it can't you know even if it means that um people have to live with quite a lot of pain there is something dangerous about somewhere that can erase people's memories because it actually could mean that anyone like in um, Tom Wilkinson's character's case or Elijah Wood's character's case it can make you really vulnerable to people that want to take advantage of the fact that you're 
that you're not going to learn from any of your previous experiences because your memory has been erased. So. I mean, like any technology, we all know it's going to be used for evil rather than good. Yes. Um, yes. And in the hands of men, it will be used to woo younger ladies. Um, well, that's very reassuring coming from a man. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good thing. Okay. Um, I'm just saying it's a technology thing, so of course it's going no, to be misused. I know, I know completely. But um, completely. I bet they're again like that, you know, when we like to talk about honourable mentions and all that stuff. And, you know, there was a, a, a very st- strong cast in this film. Um, yes. Especially when you look back now, you know, you look at where everyone, what everyone's gone on to do. And the fact that the storyline between uh, Kirsten Dunst and, and Tom Wilkinson, it was there. And, and she must have still been fairly young-ish in between the Spider-Man films, probably. And, you know, yeah. she's clearly got this fancy to this older man. Mm-hmm. And we already, and then we find out it's already happened and played out and then it's happening again. Yes. Um, and that's a whole separate argument around you know, being impressionable, the fact that whether it's there's an issue, the fact that he's her boss, the fact that he's done that, erased her mind, or erased that memory, sounds like erased yeah. her mind, and then gone and kept her around. I'm not yeah. saying he should have sacked her, because that would be mean. But um, but in the recording, you you find out that he that she kind of is hesitant about doing it, and he says, we agreed that it was the best thing for you to have this procedure. So, you know, it's all kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah, like a, coercive. again, like in the apartment where you know, he keeps these people around that he's slept with, the old boss. Yeah. And anyway, so, I mean, it's not like a, a new thing. Uh, and to go back to another old episode, um, <laughs> Superman erased Lois Lane's memory by kissing her because that's a superpower. And oh wow yeah in in oh that was the second one wasn't it yeah so again this these people need gizmos Superman just needs lips um, <laughs> but it's I mean it's, it, that's the thing and and again like there's another thread you could pull at where I mean at what point and I'm not going to go into the science because as we pointed out on many many previous podcasts I'm no scientist but at what point do you kind of erase memories of a person but keep everything else you know like places they've gone things you've done things you've seen experiences you've had when you talk about how things in popular culture when they kind of trigger something in you where they, they kind of make you apply it to your own life whereas yes. this or sliding doors or Hmm. Groundhog Day or something like that you know they're, yes. they're, they're things that you can sit there and kind of go I wonder what that would be you know and then you start thinking about it that way and it's probably quite easy for a lot of people to after watching this film you know, why, you know what would it be like if I'd erased the memory of that person you know you would you still be you without that I suppose yes exactly exactly depends on the depends on the experiences and, and depends on on what you can and can't remember um I mean I think that that's why partly why it conjures up quite a lot of um strong feelings in people watching this film the people that like it really like it and have quite a emotional connection to it I can't I haven't um I really like I really like it but I haven't seen it that many times in my life because I find it quite powerful and it's quite sort of cathartic but it makes it quite sort of you know you wouldn't throw it on in the background for comfort (laughs) because it's making you kind of revisit things but it's because of that 
it's because of that thing. It's because it's sort of making you reconcile yourself to the fact that, yeah, you know, like a, a lot of things in life are, wor are worth doing, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily um, always uh, smooth and it doesn't necessarily have a kind of fairy tale vibe to it. And you've just got to, that's kind of part of existing. But that also doesn't mean that there aren't really great things about all of your just yeah the, me the memories that you have are always going to have be kind of light and light and shade and that's that's something you've just got to be at peace with To go and do that at the end of the relationship, to go and get your mind wiped. Um, yeah, and because um, because as she says in the recording, he's boring. That's why she's doing. <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, that's the, that's the argument you get from a six-year-old or something. Oh, he's boring. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, yeah. And then oh, I'm going to go and wipe my mind. Um, I think there there is some elements of that, and I think that there is by making it a little bit more of a way that had the roles been reversed, you know, had it been, it wouldn't have been unusual. It would have been, you know, had the Clementine character been, well, I mean, any gender doesn't really matter, but, you know, if we're talking about a male and female relationship, had they flipped it and it been the other way around, it wouldn't have made that much of a difference. It might not have been a, perhaps as slightly as envelope pushing with that regard, but then this is yes, kind of what yeah. made it a little bit more unusual and, and unique. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that there's something in it that implies that, um, do you think that the people that we're attracted to, whether it be in real life or even maybe when we're watching films or television, do you think maybe sometimes the people that we fancy remind us of people from our past? Possibly. I think, you know, there's always these arguments about a type. Um, yeah. And the fact that Clementine's presented as someone who... She's not necessarily a type, but she's kind of like a phase that that people might be interested when they're going for a phase. And she talks about being seen as a concept. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like almost like I need to go out with someone who's a bit weird, you know, who's got hair like Grover or whatever. Um, yeah. And she's presented in that way. So it's more like a, a, a a theory than a type but you know but i guess a lot of people do you know and and it goes both ways you know if, if you grow up fancying someone and you happen to meet and get in a relationship with someone who reminds you of that through physical features or otherwise it is like a there probably is a reaction yes in your brain i think there there is an element there of, of types and going against types yeah. Which isn't a bad thing because sometimes types are good, sometimes they're not. And if you, I guess it's that kind of tunnel vision. If you're only looking for one thing, don't see what's right in front of you. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, so um, it's easy to lose focus. It's all confirmation bias sort of stuff, isn't it? Um, yes, you yes. Know. God, it sounds, it sounds like a, a, a blog, you know. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like entry level psychology or something. <laughs> It's it's very hard to talk about this film without sounding a bit like that, as I've discovered during the course of the last hour. The fact that they do choose to try again, 
that not everything's terminal. Even with that knowledge that it hasn't worked before, you can still have another go. Um, yes. Whether that's always the key or not, I don't know. Probably not. But it's um, it's, it's a nice way that they've left it. They haven't just gone shaken hands and gone, oh, okay, agree to disagree and then walked away. All the pally and friend zoned at the end. What, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that part of what makes this film a bit of a classic is the way it doesn't let its cynicism outweigh its hopefulness about love and about connections between people. I think that that, you know, it would have been very easy for them to end it on a very cynical note. And actually, I think it would have been kind of more, in some ways, more kind of less daring if they had been more cynical with it actually and and more fashionable and the fact that they didn't and they they allow you to feel emotional and quite swept up in something is um yeah it's part of what makes it unique memorable film Well, as we put our mess of sadness and phobias to one side and try in vain to book a table at a restaurant full of couples, we leave you with the question, you can erase someone from your mind, but is getting them out of your heart another story? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me.